This week, sorry about the absence last week, uh, we did it for Jeebus. We're doing topics today including music and surgery. Music kind of can calm you down and get you focused, might not be what you uh, think. So this is going to be talking about a new startup called Inc. Talking about signatures, remember them? Autographs. And then we dive into Sampology's career, regrowth, rearrange, a whole bunch of things like that, 21 seconds. Welcome here once again after all of that. I love how in podcasts you're like, just get to the point, can't mm-hmm. I'll use today? Oh, there's two of them. Checking in now. Hi, Sos, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. I got to see the lovely George Benson play last night, which was amazing for the spirit. I'm feeling good. How was his voice? I mean, it was better than I thought it was going to be. I mean, like the man's almost 80. So I went into it with expectations of it being okay. Pleasantly surprised at how good he still is as a showman, like the band was tight as hell. I did kind of hope to see him play guitar a little more, admittedly. I had a lot of fun. It was like the energy was right in the Palais here in Melbourne and uh, people were just having a good old time. Terrific. Sam, where are you? Where are you located? What's the hippity haps? Yeah, I'm on the south side of Brizzy, Mianjin, uh, sunny, still somewhat summery. It takes a while for summer to go away up here. Yeah, I was actually down in Melbourne for the first time in a year for like 10 days, a couple of weeks ago. Um, so I'm still kind of soaked up on all of the musical inspiration and friends and family hangs that I always, yeah, try and soak up as much as possible whenever I'm down there. Did it feel like a, like a bit of a school holiday vibe to you as well? No, it didn't. So I'd have something in the morning at like 10 o'clock and then I'd have something at night at like one o'clock after midnight and um instead of going back and going on my laptop and doing some work i was just like i'm gonna stay out and like see as many people as possible and do as much as possible all good stuff you know my phone would be running out of battery you know while in fitzroy at like two o'clock in the afternoon and i'd stop in at a studio i think that i thought someone might be doing something out and just kind of plug in and recharge so it was a bit like it was a bit much but it was exactly what I needed to do so like no regrets coming back yeah made the most of it well played and everyone when you walk into a room it's like sam's here this is good this is gonna be a vibe you know what i mean uh yeah i was welcome i guess i hope so yeah <laughs> i want to see a driver's license i want to see a real address which is on the back no i, I yeah i mean you sort of got forever this youthful vibe um even sort of goes way back, I, I saw you play at Bacardi Express and it was unreal and it was very crazy, like two or three days where we'd just be on this heritage-listed train and pull up somewhere uh, to Woomba and you would get out there and you were the resident DJ, you would throw down some like filthy soul wax, things like that, and, you know, and just sort of bring the vibe up and how much bands would play for now, et cetera, and then we'd jump back on the train and do it all again 12 hours later. It was, it was wild. Yeah, that was a special one. That was probably 10 years ago. So I probably looked like I was 15 when I was 25. <laughs> um, so you met me back then. Yeah, that was fun. Wasn't it? It was so good. Friends, uh, let's jump into the first uh, topic after these messages, these musical messages. some groundbreaking research which i'm kind of half calling bullshit on half like this is perfect for hit different perfect fodder 
A new study has been released that showcases the effects of music on laparoscopic surgery. That's keyhole surgery. The study was conducted by Germany's Heidelberg University. Even that sounds fake, doesn't it? <laughs> In which the researchers played soft rock by the Beatles and quote unquote hard rock by ACDC to surgeons while performing surgery. They then analyzed the speed and precision of the surgical cuts against each musical style at different volumes. And they kind of found that um, hard rock was re really good for a lot of surgeons, you know, some of the more louder, chaotic things. I've literally just texted Alex Cameron from Bad Dreams, who's a hand surgeon, the guitarist, he's a hand surgeon, fiery character, very interesting dude. We've got a lot of time for him. He sent back eight messages in rapid fire. Very interesting topic, which in fact ties into a wider discussion about the nature of streaming and how it affects music trends. Theatre is an example. Fuck, he's just texted another one. It's just gone right to the top. Theatre is an example of where music is used in the background. Can't be pumped out, so we need to be able to communicate clearly. However, silence in the operating theatre is deafening. Right on. It's actually been shown that the team performance improves with music. One of my main criticisms is it's pushed towards bland music. That's what the algorithm's done. Hence, I give you Ed Sheeran and his ilk. I've placed a band on the mention of the Orange Goblin's name in my theatre. <laughs> okay, now we're getting to the good stuff. The nurses are aware of this, and if they want to annoy me, they'll play a true while I'm scrubbed and I'm powerless to do anything except be subjected to this musical crime. On a more of a rant now, but let's keep going, guys. We're nearly done. Pleasant, jangling, non-offensive, late noughties, pitchfork era staples are good. Beach House, real estate in twerps, fleet foxes, grizzly bear, war on drugs. Okay, so that's good. And, and sometimes the 70s and 80s, Ozrock goes down well with the battle axe nurses, many of whom regale me with tales of looking after Barnsley or Doc Neeson. So all that said, he mentions also chisel and oils and all these things. So this is a person on the ground. This isn't just the study in Heidelberg University in Germany. Uh, it says for the younger theatre crew, I, del I delve into something that I can tolerate with a bit more group, L City Sound System, Taming Parlour, The Weekend. Occasionally, if I want to appear, appear sophisticated, I go Chopin, Bach and Handel. What do you guys listen to just to get really, really focused and do you ever listen to sort of, you know, more chaotic, harder music and find you can get a, a, zen, a zen state from there? I'm still trying to get my head around, like, the idea of, you know, waking up from surgery, hopefully it being successful, but knowing that, like, someone was just vibing out to can't feel my face, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's trust in your medical professionals. I think when it comes to setting the mood while trying to get work done, for me, I'm generally listening to things that I wouldn't normally listen to because I feel like if I'm, I tend to work better when I'm focused on one specific thing and, and with music. And I think it might be because we work in music. It's hard for me to not be thinking about things analytically or or being sort of distracted by production or being distracted by vocals or stuff. So I'm I'm often like, diving into instrumental tracks if I'm on deadline and I'm trying to get stuff done. If I'm trying to pull like different DJ sets together, I'm listening to just a random playlist and, and going on deep dives as well, just because I know that if I get stuck on one specific style of music, I'm not pulling myself out of it. So I kind of go in the opposite direction and, and try to listen to music that is as foreign to me as possible um, in order to, to get over the line. Does it Feel weird to you, Sam, before I ask you the same question. So yeah. That surgeons would be listening to hard rock to um to get in the in the zone. 
I feel like I've seen, I'm basing all of my information on this on like TV and TV shows Same. and movies. I feel like I've seen this before. I think it wasn't in Trainwreck that the, um, the Bill Hader character was, he listens exclusively to Uptown Girl <laughs> during his surgeries on athletes. Yeah. So, so like anything medical or scientific, I'm basing it on TV shows and movies, of course, <laughs> responsibly. Um, so no, it doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Well, aren't the surgeons like the gung-ho end of the spectrum of the medical world? They're the kind of like high achieving, like star athlete kind of people. So the high energy pump up kind of heavy rock kind of makes sense to me for those, you know, for that kind of world. They're often concentrating for, you know, 10, 11 hours. That's true. Oh, that's a bit. Yeah. That's wild. So that's a for, lot. That, for that reason, you want to be absolutely just buzzing on the thing that is going to get you into that that place that space and it's going to keep you there um my friend of mine who recently got out of djing and started becoming a person that works in theater he's like you've got to understand how sexy it is and how powerful it is. this is a female surgeon and she just controls the room and she's just the way she conducts herself he goes it's breathtaking it's absolutely breathtaking and just being in that environment where it's a lot at stake it's often mm. Stake slash their livelihood going forward, all of those things I think are um are really mm. notable. Side note: When Eminem's "Lose Yourself" came out, it was proved that that year it had caused most car crashes than <laughs> when people were driving along, <laughs> taking the song quite literally. And everything about that song was sort of just controlled chaos as well. And I can say I I was in a car with a friend of mine who just souped up his um his Toyota T eighteen out in Fountain Gate in the year 1998. And he, when he played it, we were like absolutely sort of, you know, almost back of the bus playing corners kind of vibe. Um, what's music that gets you in the zone, Sam? Um, yeah, I was thinking about this. There's, I feel like there's two ends of the spectrum I thought of. One of like being in a hotel in a different city just before I'm playing a gig, which is really, it's really like you're by yourself and you got to like amp yourself up in like a bland hotel room. And the other end of the spectrum is like music to draw to. So like the, yeah, so the hotel room before a gig amp up, I'm just remembering there was a phase I went through. I just always either type into my iTunes 1984 or Prelude Records. So basically Boogie Disco from 1984 or anything on the Prelude Records, D-Train, and just kind of dance in the hotel room by myself to physically get the blood going and to activate, because I feel like, that music, there's kind of like the clubby energy of like hands up a little bit, but there's still like a Latin percussionist in the band to kind of activate, you know, your hips and your ass a little bit. So it's like a full body getting the blood going kind of thing. I've put this one piece of music on to draw to quite a lot over the years. It's a Steve Reich piece called Music for 16 Musicians, which goes for an hour. It's an unbroken piece of music right across 14 songs. And it's both like really calming and soothing and like meditative, but also like it's got these, this pulsing thing. So it's kind of like, it kind of jeers you up in this really interesting way. And you kind of, um, yeah, you go off into a place and you can just kind of draw and it's quite a good time. Yeah. It's a bit of a trip. Glass Beams is one that I've, I've really been getting into recently. And I think you just went and saw the mysterious Melbourne group who just played their first live shows, uh, Strawberry Fields, they went and killed, I think, were Adelaide too. Uh, tell us about seeing them live and how the crowd react because it's, it's, you know, it's really kind of mesmerising music. Yeah, that was, um, yeah, during my Melbourne trip for uh, Strawberry Fields was the second weekend I was down there. 
and uh, they were playing there, the three-piece mysterious group. They perform in these, yeah, in these kind of masks. That was awesome. It was a very eerie, spiritually celestial, but funk, spring reverby cool. thing. Um, so yeah, I, getting to connect with them at the end of last year, they replayed one of my tracks um, from my Regrowth album. So it was good to connect in person and meet up, find out the secrets, which I'm not allowed to share with anyone. Uh, what's under the masks? Yeah. Milo, who's a co-host of Hit Different, he just put it out there recently on Breakfast Spread at PBS. He's like, um, can anyone just tell me who's behind it? And like, yeah, three people contacted him straight away. He's the top, I even reveal it on air, obviously. Yeah. And he's like, wow, that the power. <laughs> so right. You got to know straight away, which is, um, which is cool. Some interesting stuff in terms of like getting uh, in tune to like go out and play sport. I'm the person who's massive on you know, the heat of the battle and playing sport. And yes, I've just come straight from um, the doctors now for my meniscus, a torn meniscus in my knee. So I'm not that happy about it, but it's improving. Anyway, there's a whole saying that the game is won and lost on the bus. So on the way to the ground with your team, if you've got it, you're all in the zone together. Everyone's playing their different music usually, but then you'd want to kind of have a unifying moment. I find it uh, super interesting that have that kind of hive mind slash that real, like we are all on the same page. We all are a family who are off to get, you know, to go and get the job done. I reckon that's um, there's a lot to be said about that. There's something cheesy I've been doing. Um, when I play by myself, I feel like I've got a thing. And when I play with other people, with my middle name dance band trio, I think I just did it cheesily once just before we hit the stage, but I looked every, at everyone like a kind of sports coach and was just like, hey guys, let's have make sure we have fun out there kind of thing. And like literally every show now we kind of do it. It's so cheesy, but it's, and we all kind of laugh, but that's kind of like a, that's kind of like a little pre-show. Do you get just, specific, Sam? Do you sort of go? It just has to be delivered in like a, like a coachy kind of way. Like we're going to have the orange slices halfway through the set kind of, um, kind of thing. And it just breaks up the tension and brings us together a bit. Maybe. Yeah. Unreal. So it's before you, because you're getting lots of DJ gigs, you just went and smashed metal and mm. you might have been playing at Mold House tomorrow, hoping that thing comes off for you. What do you do before a set to sort of, you know, break any kind of nerves that you have? Um, make sure that everything's working for one. <laughs> I know um, at Meadow, which was such a fun time, um, there were just like a couple of tech things to begin with that really doesn't help if you're already trying to like figure out what you're going to start with, like fill the room out. So um, I always get a little bit neurotic before then. Generally, I don't know, I try to just to, to get out of my head a little bit and kind of go the opposite of, of what I would do if I'm just working at home and, and just sort of switch off from going back through my library or going through my decks and stuff and 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 sort of just kind of split away from it for maybe like the hour or so beforehand so I can just kind of go in with a blank slate and and feel it out that way um that kind of works better for me in saying that though going back to what we were talking about before I remember when when I got my legs tattooed back in 2019 that was a very drawn out process. That was one session in 10 hours. And traditionally when it's done, there is a musical component that's supposed to be part of the process. There's always either singing or some sort of 
live music happening and I I never really understood it and I kind of used to joke about it being like you know when this traditional tattooing process gets done it's always about like stroking the men's egos and just like babying them through so they need like women holding their hands through it they've got singers they've you know it's a big procession thing but when it happened to me and I was laying there in like complete silence watching my tattooist who again it's kind of like a doctor like he had to be concentrated on a sole task for for 10 hours and all you've got is like a tapping rhythm I would have killed for something else just to be playing in the background just to just to take your focus off of it you know and to, to take you out of that why wasn't that offered to you I'm not actually sure I don't think it was a thing of not being offered I think it was just a we're just going to rock up and get it done kind of thing and I thought I could be a real G about it and just lay there and take it not nah, five hours in I'm like I need something like I need something we're already in so I, I get it now like it's it can it can it can just help lift a mood yes yeah. we all know that I mean, you know another th- two little things um I'm perplexed and kind of impressed when people listen to podcasts while they're working like if mm. I'm working I'm often doing writing or, or whatever but to be able to listen to a podcast and kind of tune in, tune out, like it's, I felt like it, I was just in a doctor surgery, every single person's conversation. I'm like, you guys are probably the same. I'm just picking up on it all and just extracting like little gems of information. And I can't help but to be taking it in. My friend Steve Cross, who runs remote control, he says he, he, he can't put on music just for sort of and do something else. He goes, when music's on, I'm just concentrating on music. I'm like, that's super, super interesting. Um, another thing about talking about flow state, I noticed now is like, so says notification silence when you text via uh, iPhone. I don't know whether it's across the board. Sam, you probably experienced this as well. This is notify anyway. So like they've done a great thing. Like you're telling me they've got notification silence. Great. This fucking thing was that Socrates that said disable notification. I'm pretty sure it was him. And now you can like override that. Fuck that. No. I, yeah, I'm still, I've been thinking about that a lot. I, I, I don't know the appropriate, I feel like I need to watch what, it, you know, maybe there'll be a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode on it and there'll be all, all of the angles, you know, rules about that. I don't know what the rules are about, notif- like my partner, I'll notify her if it's important, but I don't know what, like outside of my small bubble or extended bubble, I don't think it's appropriate to notify, but in certain situations... The word malignant has to be in there, or do you need bread? I would say, yeah. Do we need bread? Yeah, I didn't. You know what? Until you mentioned it, I didn't actually realize that that was a setting on my phone until you and like a couple of other people who texted me um, mentioned it. They're like, "Oh, like, is it okay if we if we contact you?" And I'm like, "Yeah, what do you mean?" They're just like, "You've got your notifications switched off." I'm like, "How does that even happen?" So you've had them permanently on on like do not disturb yeah yeah i didn't realize that because I, I think it's also a thing like nobody really texts me like directly through the app it's always through like whatsapp or people just call me so it's very rare that like i think there's only a small amount of people who will actually text me so maybe i just didn't notice it from there but um i've certainly noticed it when i've been messaging other people um, and it's just like, do you want to notify them anyway? I'm like, well, doesn't that kind of defeat the purpose of them having it off? But then again, if they're like me, they probably don't know that they have do have them off. So I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> so weird. Calling, uh, emailing, text, Facebook Messenger, Instagram DMs, 
Twitter DMs. WhatsApp, mm. I just wish there was more. What is Nikki Karen? I know. It's, so, it's just it's so easy these days. The Instagram DM for friends that already text you, no. You don't need to open up this extra portal. Of- or how they've, like, connected Instagram and Facebook together. So sometimes it's like if I'm sending someone what I think is an Instagram DM, it comes up, like, in a separate Facebook chat. It's like it's too much. It's too much. It's turning notifications off and putting your phone on flight mode when you can. Mm. Highly, re- highly recommend it, my friends. Uh, yeah, for some reason I've got ACDC TNT in my head after all that, so good stuff. Oi. Uh, in a second, we were going to be talking to Sos about a new startup for authenticating signatures. Get, in, get you in the ground floor here, my friends. But first, a little bit of music. So, Sophia Moly, you brought this to my attention this morning during our mm-hmm. little, uh, WIP meeting. Talk to the people about this new development. Yeah, so we've, we've spoken on hit different uh, a number of times about like different NFTs, uh, how musicians and, you know, I guess the wider uh, artistic community is starting to use the metaverse and cryptocurrency and the blockchain and all of these other words that I say that I know about, but really. I'm bullshitting most of the time to, you know, to promote their music, to create new art and to cultivate the new communities. But I was reading about this new startup called Inc that is using the blockchain to authenticate digital signatures and, and sort of offer it to fans in a new way that is a more accessible than NFTs. Um, and also they can be quite limited as well. So essentially taking the NFT format and bringing it into, I guess, more of a real world realm Because think about autographs and the importance that someone's signature, whether it's an artist you love or someone who is so unattainable and famous, back in the day, that was like everything. You'd get your T-shirt signed, you'd get your CD signed, you would hang around after after shows. If you're a real diehard, you'd probably follow them to an airport or to a hotel and not even necessarily have a conversation with these people, but you just shove the merch that you wanted sign in front of them because that's, you know, that's the the one tangible thing you could have out of the interaction. Uh, Whereas nowadays I feel like, you know, we talk about parasocial relationships that people have with with famous people or with artists or whoever, you know, there there feels like maybe there's a a growing sense of entitlement that that the general public has uh, in terms of interactions with people online. Uh, so maybe signatures aren't necessarily the tea anymore. It's, it's you know, I need a FaceTime. I need, you know, I need v- visual representation that you can acknowledge my existence. So the fact that this sort of startup is even happening was interesting to me. Um, it's still very much in its infancy at the moment, but they are teaming up with musicians uh, just to trial it. Uh, to see how it can go. So I think the idea is that they'll develop some activations to appear at merch booths, at festivals, concerts and stuff. So if you can imagine going to, you know, going to a laneway and seeing your favourite artist at laneway and instead of copying a T-shirt, you can go to these activations, pay probably the same price as it would be to get a hoodie and you can get like one of a very limited amount of authentic signatures from them so it could it could be a new revenue stream for musicians as well because then it cuts out the flogging of your name essentially on ebay we know that it happens 
particularly within like the, I guess, the film and TV pop culture worlds where you've got some fans out there who flog signed merch on eBay for hundreds and hundreds of dollars to the point where, you know, the people behind those signatures are probably a little bit more sceptical about donating time to their fans after gigs or after shows because it's like, you know, if you're that artist or that actor, you know, you want to know that you're interacting with a genuine fan as opposed to just signing something and knowing someone else is just making a couple of bucks off it. So I feel like this sort of startup could be cool because it has a potential to cut that out. Um, And going back to the point I was saying before, it's affordable. So you don't need a crypto wallet to use it. People can pay with a credit or debit card. I feel like one of the worst things about the NFT model, particularly when it comes to musicians, is that there's already an assumption that whoever is consuming that art has enough capital behind them to even be in the running, you know, Uh, and not everybody's like that. (laughs) I know I certainly am not like that. So I'm kind of here for it if it means that people can can sort of choose what they spend and still get a really good product. I feel like it could be a good thing. But again, it's sort of adding into this conversation of like what's a genuine artist fan reaction? Like do you know if there's any musicians or artists that you've ever stalked down in your youths or hung around for an autograph for? Like what's the what's the biggest extent you've gone to? Yeah, heaps actually. And it's that probably bringing vinyl to to shows or festivals and just like the size and the fra- fragility of it it's like a it's a proper mission um and so there's a lot of those um probably my favorite was bringing i think like three or four erica badu albums to good vibrations festival years ago jealous and damien marley actually and i got both of them to sign their albums and the erica one was like one of the most special experiences ever because she signed the albums love you sam Handed, handed them back to me and then like took a stop, took a pause, looked me in the eye and said, I love you. Took another, oh pa- took another pause and then went <laughs> away. And people have talked about Erica's eyes before and how like, oh. they'll just, you'll fall in love. Yeah. And I, I felt it. I like, there was this physical feeling that came over me of like, I want to be your man somehow. Well, I don't know. Like <laughs> so, I couldn't describe it. It was just like really physical and like. That was amazing. And those albums, which say, you know, to Sam, I love you, Eric Badu, like they're so incredibly valuable to me. But like on a, I wonder on a resale situation, are they valuable because they say Sam, you know? Yeah. And, and it's kind of like, I like that they're not really valuable on a resale, but they're so incredibly valuable to totally. me. Totally. Um, and that's probably more like where the value comes off on the fan situation. And yeah. I think with, with the technology side of things, Obviously, there's a whole bunch of new developments around uh, NFTs and, like, I think this new kind of, like, extension of that sounds like creative solutions to problems, which is really awesome. And I kind of, like, in watch observing all of this stuff happen, I feel like I'm seeing two sides of the situation of, like, there's all of this opportunity for creatives to find new revenue streams and basically make the creation of art in their daily life, like sustainable. So more art gets put out there, which is amazing. And that I love that opportunity. But then on the other side of it, I just look back of, at the history of, of the music industry and every 10 or 20 years when there's a new format coming out, whether it be CD, vinyl, tapes, whatever, there's always like a new business position person that comes in as a new middleman to kind of like 
suck some money out of the revenue stream between like the consumer and the artist. And as time gone on, I feel like there's now like opportunity for less people to be in the middle and the artist to kind of have a more chunk of it and for it to be more sustainable. So I kind of like, I don't really know. I just kind of like look at all of these new developments and kind of see the opportunity for the artists and the opportunity for new middlemen, money people that aren't really into music at all to like jump in there. So that's kind of like what I'm marinating in my mind with all of this exciting stuff. Yeah. Mm. Have you, Sam, have you jumped on NFTs? Have you, first question, the second question is tell us about any kind of interesting slash weird fan experience you've had where people want you to sign something. And I once signed a cask leg in Perth at a festival and and I, and, and then someone took a photo and it was on the front page of a newspaper then next week. It's just like a musician signs leg or something, which is a bit weird. That just popped into my head. <laughs> Someone tried to get me to sign an Avalanche's album because I'd supported them the week oh. before. And I was just like, that was so excited. And I was like, no, 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 I'm not <laughs> on this record. Not like, no. Honestly, I love doing my own Bandcamp orders because I can have a connection with fans and literally put stuff That's in cool. there. Like my last album, I, I took pieces of paper that were like hand-drawn parts of an animation that they were like hundred pieces of paper that formed like a flicking animation that were hand drawn. And I made a message on some of them and put them in some of the Bandcamp orders for people that are either played on the record or had paid a little bit more because Bandcamp, you could pay whatever you want or just people that I know have supported. So that's cool. But on the NFT side, I, yeah, it's one of those things that's, it's either like, I haven't put a lot of energy into, and it's one of those things like, oh, I could be really happy about putting, not putting a lot of energy into, or maybe in 10 years, I'd be like, man, why are you so dumb? Like you should (laughs) have jumped on it. But, um, I'm really conscious of how you spend your time is what you become and like what your output is. So like to pivot so much of my time away from like the creative momentum through all of my different projects feels like a bit irresponsible in terms of serving my creative projects. So I'm happy with the decision to not like reallocate all of my time to this right now makes sense yeah i'm probably wrong i'll probably regret it in five or ten years and but i mean when did you jump on myspace were you an early adopter i guess so and then facebook's like oh why is this this new facebook thing (laughs) yeah i feel like i'm kind of i'm not like the first adopter but i'm like early early ish i'm like open i feel like it's good to be open yeah don't you love how MySpace paid Justin Tim like 30 mil to, for their comeback? Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. I wish he could. He probably wishes he could forget about that. Yeah. I oh, know. He, he wouldn't want to forget that 30 mil. Oh, that's true. No, yes. My, MySpace probably wishes they could forget. It was such an odd uh, odd moment in time. Um, so, yeah. So uh, have you been approached beyond Cameo at all, Sam? Are there, are there any other kind of, um, you know, parlor gigs? What are, what are the sort of those sort of bespoke experiences? I feel like there have been some, I just can't remember. Um, oh, there's been some, I'm trying to remember. I know there's one in there. There's so many random gigs over the years and random experiences. Nothing's coming to mind right now, but, um, I feel like well, that, can't... that space is more along the band camp connections of yeah. building up the connections with people and chucking in interesting stuff or, 
I know like when I, I knew there was friends down in Melbourne that I hadn't seen for, for ages and I, I like, I was getting a haircut. So I put some of my hair in a Ziploc bag and sent it down to them. Like it wasn't <laughs> like we kind of had a converse, like I didn't tell them it was coming, but we'd had a conversation where it was like a funny relevant thing. It, 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 without that, it's a bit freaky, but yeah. Um, so I did that once. I love it. Nick, Nick Cave, when I interviewed him, he was like, with this big exhibition, he just went around, he would collect hair. He would go to all these different markets and buy people's hair and just have this fascination with hair. And, you know, that helped his creative experience and his journey, undutably. So, you know, whatever works for you. Yeah. So cool. So cool. Uh, and just with the others, I think, so bring up that Elijah Wood thing. So um, I watched an interview that Elijah Wood did and they were talking about how, you know, I think he was on a list of, like, the best, like the top whatever best celebrity signatures or something, or like the neatest celebrity signatures and whatnot. They were talking about how, you know, what a weird list to even be on. And he was saying, you know, he's he, he loves to give back to his fans. You know, obviously Lord of the Rings fans are like hectic and it's a solid fan base so um they've always had a connection with with those fans over the years but he was saying you know it's he's become so hyper aware of people who will rock up with like 15 items to be signed so like his senses are now kind of so fine-tuned to being like well are you do you want to have a conversation to me like if conversation with me if I'm out here and giving you five minutes of my time, I want to make sure that you and I are having like a meaningful interaction and you're just not out here trying to get me to scroll on, on a piece of paper that you know will probably sell for a good 150, 200 online. So I found that really interesting too, because it's like, you know, musicians, actors, all these people in the public eye, you wonder how often they actually get to have genuine conversations with people who want to talk about their work or want to just kick it. Like it's the the weird transactional nature of celebrity and and culture these days is kind of icky to me. It needs to be more of a middle ground between I want to make bank from you and, oh, my God, I can't even take this moment. Uh. Because, you know, the, the person there has to try and provide a meaningful experience with their fan, yet it's sort of like got to sort of quickly work through the minefield. And that happens constantly, I'm guessing. I mean, it's weird. Like, you know, sometimes people ask me, Mikey, I'm sure you've gotten it too. Like, you know, who's the most, who's the artist who you've been most starstruck by? Or, you know, because you talk to musicians and famous people, like, who's the biggest one you've interviewed or whatever? And generally, I'd like to think I'm pretty desensitized. Like, even if I'm a big fan of that person, I can at least, like, compartmentalize my shit enough to to get through the job. And then afterwards, I'd be like, oh, that was a pretty cool thing that happened or whatnot. Sam, you're talking about vinyls just <laughs> reminded me. So when, uh, when Mark Ronson was here, what, two or three years ago now? Definitely before the pandemic, probably. Um, and he played at Howler here in Melbourne and I remember uh, getting in touch with my friend Marietta who works at Sony we love her Uh, she was handling him at that time and I was just like dude if he's because it was like everybody I knew who was a journalist or a radio host had had press time with him in Melbourne and I was just like I gotta 
I got to get in on this. Like I had vinyl, like I had vinyl. I'm like, I need to get it signed. I need to do something. And um, I was working up at the ABC at that point. And luckily, like Marietta's just like, look, if you want to bring the vinyl to the show, I can maybe try and get it signed there. But, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, I don't really want to take a vinyl to a club gig. Like it's, it's a lot. Like, it, you know what I mean? So I brought it with me to work the next day. It's probably the first and first time in a very long time when I was like, I had a few friends up here who also wanted to like meet him, get things signed. And we knew he was doing interviews with like Radio National, which is a couple of levels down in the ABC building. And we orchestrated a like multi-angle kind of guerrilla warfare style, just a roll up on him outside the studio downstairs. And I took my vinyl down. And it was one of those moments where, you know, you, you've, you've planned up until a certain point, but I hadn't really factored in what I was going to do when I got there. So we got like a photo with him and he was like looking at me and I'm holding this vinyl and he's just like, oh, thank you so much for bringing this. And he's trying to have a conversation with me. And I swear to God, the whole experience maybe took five minutes, but I managed to get half a minute of coherent conversation out it's just like oh we we came and saw you last night and you were really good and he was like oh like thank you so much like I really appreciate Australian fans and I'm like yep yep and he's like okay so like you do you so you work you work in music and my friend's just like yeah she's a great music journalist he's like oh cool 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 like so what kind of music are you into and I'm just like I couldn't like my brain had switched off. I'd like gone as far as getting the record signed and getting a photo and whatnot. And then I walked away. I'm like, fuck, I really fucked that up. But, um, the cat though, I'm sure he just rolled with it. Like he can roll in any, so he's so adaptable. Oh, totally. Like he was lovely. But again, it was one of those things where I'm like, he was probably trying to have a genuine conversation and I'm like, I'm not giving you anything. I'm so sorry. I mean, that experience sounds so valuable, even I mean, it sounds like super positive, but kind of awkward, but kind of funny, an amazing story. And you've got this physical, tangible object. It's, it's kind of like, I don't know, I don't know how you would ever like digitize that on, as on some kind of platform. It's impossible. It's, a, yeah. it, it's gross. And it's just, it's a bit too, yeah, what's the word? It's, it's actually too optimistic, isn't it? <laughs> I'm never one to sort of like talk down optimism. But it's, it's almost too optimistic of this this medium to be like this is a thing that you will appreciate like i just reckon and if everyone with nfts as much as maybe for making money etc but it's just it's just i just feel a bit empty even on behalf of them if they're happy great but vicariously it's it's it smacks of um just being not quite there you know like the story mm-hmm. you just told us so like, I, I met beck and i gave him jelly beans and a bottle of yarra yaring shiraz and he, he signed the article i'd written about him and the whole experience was amazing because it was just like very, very like he. A friend of mine was there. He's like, Beck, can you say something to my phone that um it can be my ringtone? He just goes, <clears throat> pick up the phone, dummy. And so that was my friend's <laughs> ringtone for the next five years. Beck that's saying, amazing. Pick up the phone, dummy, which is so dope. Yeah, that's yeah. Maybe that's the next thing. Ringtones, friends. Yeah. you can check out other podcasts from Mushroom, including some of my best work with Jane Rocker, One Eighty Grams with Moi, or One Guitar with Alex Gal. Just search for Mushroom Studios in your podcast app. Also, you can become a subscriber. All of our guests stick around for a bonus episode to talk about music that music that hit different for them. Uh, that comes out on Thursday, but you'll get it ahead of time for a measly four bucks a week, which used to be the co- – it's actually less than a coffee. A lot of talk this week about how lattes are going up to six bucks. Dun, dun, dun. Um, get a coffee machine. Ours is broken, but we're getting a new one. Cool story, Mikey. 
friends <laughs> after this we will talk to sam hology sam how do you say your last name poggioli soft g poggioli yeah very good in just a moment Okay, we're back and we are talking to the man of the moment, the boy wonder, Sam Pology, having a deep dive into his career just off the top of my dome. What's going on with you and this Gordon Coang show at Vivid at the Opera House where you are doing a live collaborative step, Reunity, masterfully reimagining the uh, South Sudanese kick of music, Gordon Coang's acclaimed 2020 album Reunity into a, a, a modern Australian electronic context. Tell us about that, please. So basically he's on a mammoth tour at the moment with his uh, acoustic band. And once that wraps about two weeks afterwards, we'll be doing a special performance at Vivid. Uh, Vivid actually reached out to Gordon and um, Gordon's label, Music in Exile, because they wanted to do something special. Because usually, yeah, Vivid try and yeah do something special, like a one-off performance for their amazing festival. And um, basically what came out of that was... Um, me remixing Gordon's whole set list that he's currently touring, all of his songs. Sorry, buddy, but how did your name pop up? How did you get involved? Um, I think it came out of basically um, there's a song that I've – I did a remix of his about a year ago that's coming out in about a month. Um, And that's how the relationship kind of formed with Gordon and and, um, Music in Exile. And, um, I met Gordon in person about three months ago. We hung out in Brisbane, did a day in my studio here and, um, recorded some new tracks actually. So that's going to be, uh, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to talk about that yet, but whatever. (laughs) Um, some new originals, um, took him to the, I live quite close to the Sudanese and Ethiopian kind of community in Brisbane. So I took him out for Ethiopian for lunch because he was telling me he grew up in Ethiopia and he loves the culture and the food and everything. Uh, so yeah, it was great, kind of having um, having a yeah, like a catch up. And he he's so like um, he's so generous with like mm. explaining what his music's about, what his um, his like his message is about, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and just hearing his joyful performance that he played at um, the um. Uh, yeah, at the Nine Lives Festival here in Brisbane was amazing. Um, so I'm, I think I'm heading down in a couple of weeks to work on some more music with him and develop that set a bit further. But basically, yeah, I'll be the drummer and and the baseline maker for that performance. So it'll be Gordon playing his tum, which is an African guitar, and singing and uh, percussionist and keys from his band, and I'll be running the rhythms basically. So it'll awesome. be like like a It'll be like a South Sudanese um, wedding party, but really loud and celestial and spacey and joyful. Uh, yeah, that's the energy at the freaking opera house. It's either like in front of the opera house or I'm not sure. I, I'm pretty sure it's free. And um, yeah, so it'll be good. Awesome. Having a look here as uh, to the vibe. Um, yeah, Tumbalong Park. So just outside. Yeah. He was, he, he was like, when we were working on stuff in Brisbane, he was like, okay, so we'll do, I'll do my thing. You'll do your thing. You bring yourself to the show and the people will dance and they'll be happy. I was like, oh, love you, man. He's, uh, yeah, he's the best. Yeah. 
And he, we did it. We we worked on a new song, and at the end of it, he he laid down like a scratch vocal with no lyrics. He was just kind of hum, humming a melody, and then we kind of called it a day. And I'm like, okay, so what what do you think is the plan for this song for the next session? He's like, so you take you take the the melody, the top line I sung, and you find the words and you <laughs> sing. And I'm like, oh, uh, okay. He's just like, okay, I guess that's what's happening, man. And then I was like, oh no, 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 you should sing. You should sing. So that became the thing. But he, him telling me what to do was very, like, uplifting, encouraging. and Totally. I was like, yeah, whatever you say, Gordon, that's what's happening, man. Eric the Badoo, Gordon, everyone I love that guy. Everyone's in your grill. Give me the... He's just got such good, just such good energy about him. Like, I interviewed him for NME last year, 20... I can't, I can't even remember, but I, I interviewed him around this record um, didn't get to meet him. It was just over the phone, but like the chat was so emotional, but so uplifting. And like generally interviews aren't like that. When you have 15 minutes with an artist, you, you kind of get in, you get out. If you generate some kind of vibe, that's fine. But he like every single word was so considered. Um, even when he was kind of delving into the, the not so great stuff of his life, he still had such positivity around it that I'm like, why aren't like where does that come from like what reserves do you have to to sort of talk about all this really hard all these hardships but still come out of it and be like you know i'm i'm the king of optimism like he's a sunshine man and it it was oh you just you leave those situations just being like yeah he's i've been in his presence and that is amazing you know yeah that's exactly what it feels like yeah, little Q and A fact check. Tumbleon Park is three kilometers from Opera House. It's just next to Darling Harbour, so it's going to be pretty gorgeous. Amazing. And it's free, fourth of June, seven to ten. Oh man, want to get up for that? Um, does it feel to you, Sam? Uh, we're going to lead the witness here. Feels to me like this is the second coming, or also because you look a bit like Jesus and you just gone past Easter. <laughs> but uh, the second coming of your career, in that you kind of you got hot, and then you know you sort of maybe sort of leveled out a little bit, and now with regrowth and this gig on Worldwide FM and sort of this spike in interest that people are sort of super, you know, you've, you've, you kind of feel like, have felt like a slept on artist for a long time and now not necessarily so. It feels like, you know, you're getting your, you glow up and you're getting your enough attention from everybody. Yeah. It, I mean, um, without like, this isn't where the, the name came from at all, regrowth, but in reflection after that, it kind of like the personal side of like what the term regrowth well, for my uh, album that came out at the end of last year was um, it kind of like for me, just for my own kind of thinking about, you know, reflecting and stuff represented the kind of 2016 onwards trajectory I've been on. And it is kind of like a second thing, like another kind of path, even though, you know, my name, my performing name has been Sampology um, since I've been 16, 17. Um, but yeah, the, the, the word regrowth kind of came out from like the the 2020 uh, start of that year, bush uh, the end of 2019 bushfires and it was just kind of just seeing so much footage of like lo- like so many trees being like uh burnt down it's like oh wow like we all love some trees like there's going to have to be more trees like regrowth kind of thing and and then and then then um the virus happened and and it's just like yeah it's for sabbatical for a lot of people and and um yeah, so basically my creative stuff, um, from 2016 onwards, kind of what I was mentioning, 
it's ba- basically the 2016 Natural Selections and the 2018 Mount Glorious and then Regrowth, to me, like, they're all, like, one big thing. Um, like, there's songs on Regrowth that I kind of saved that were worked on back in 2015, 2016 that I knew, like, were for a bigger body of work, even though I didn't know exactly what that was going to be. And I didn't really have, like, a master plan of what the end goal was, but it was just more like a feeling. And, um, honestly, like it, on a personal level, it just feels really fulfilling to have that. Um, because, um, yeah, I, I guess, yeah, I've been, I've been DJing since I was, you know, underage and then, and then after like a fair, fair few years of DJing in Brisbane and then interstate and little bits of overseas, I did this visual show, which like people that knew me back then kind of know me for, uh, knew me for initially, like I did a bunch of big doubt tours and, Force Festival and a bunch of stuff. And that was so creatively fulfilling. And then like looking, and then I reached a point where I was like, oh, I, I, I'm not as enjoying the process of working on this stuff anymore. And, and looking back on it now, it's like such a cool realization that you can like appreciate a four or five year chunk of your life and be like, I fucking, I love that chunk of my life. And like what I was working on, it was so creatively fulfilling, even though at the end of that, you're like, I don't want to do it anymore, but you can still like love it. Um, and it was like a challenge to kind of, I thought at the time I thought it was like a big challenge to pivot and like what I really wanted to do instead of creating visual shows was like create discography. And that's kind of what I did and spent a lot more time in my hometown, Brisbane, Mianjin. And at the same time of working on the 2016 EP, I was, um, producing, recording and mixing in the end, um, an EP for an amazing artist called Tiana Kasi, which her project was released on Soul Has No Tempo, which is an amazing hometown Brisbane label that put out Jordan Rakai's first album and his EP that came out before that. Um, and just hanging out with a lot more musicians. So that's kind of like that 2015, 2016 onwards kind of period that I've been on now. And, um, yeah, so it, like it, it feels like to me, like you were talking about before, like it's like a very, before and after that kind of thing. Um, but, but yeah, I've been, I've been doing music since, you know, I was, I was 10 in one form or another. And it's kind of, even though you work on new chunks, you kind of use, I feel like you still use it all and use what's around you. Cause it all kind of informs who you are. You don't just like, yeah. But, um, I feel like switching like from the visual show to like the 2016 onwards thing, it's kind of like another reflection was like, yeah, sometimes if you want something new to grow, you got to like let something die a little bit. Um, and that's like a positive thing. That's fine. Um, yeah. About having like creative bushfires, even within friendships, I think it's important sometimes to burn it down and not see a person you love for a few months and then see what grows after that. I've had that with a couple of friends over the, uh, over the last few years, which is always uh, it's good. Mm. I have distinct memories of, seeing your name on those early festival lineups, seeing you, you know, do club shows in Adelaide and stuff. And when I was first starting to get into, um, I guess, the industry and what always struck me was that, you know, we when you, when you see DJs and you see these curators of live experiences, which is what I've always loved about uh, the art form of DJing and watching producers kind of, you can see the cogs turning in their heads in real time. I feel like that's so special. Then seeing how that translated to your visual shows and, and how it's continued to evolve. Um, what I've really loved about the way your career has gone is that we haven't lost that sense of personality. 
You know what I mean? Like it feels like everything creatively has been such a natural evolution for you. Um, and we can hear that evolution on the on the most recent material that you've done as well. Um, you know, if you were to look back at the the technology that you were using when you first started, uh, the sorts of DJs and producers who were inspiring you in the beginning and the, the way it sort of informed how you have approached your career, approached your love for music... Would you say that there's been any one defining moment for you that, that sticks out that you can talk a bit about where it's like where the dial shifted for you in terms of being a creative? Everything's kind of like a full circle thing. Like even, and I don't know why, but when I was younger, I didn't really talk about it because like singing's like singing is like a kid's like not cool or something, but it's, it's super cool. But yeah, like I started music, like singing, um, like five or six days a week in, uh, cathedral choir from like when I was 10 to 15 before I, and then I started getting into, um, buying records kind of thing. Um, I think, hmm, I think it's just that real, like, like, uh, I don't know. I think it was probably like the first moment was probably when my older cousins kind of snuck me in to support their band when I was 16, I think. And I, I played a, a set and before that I was just in love with you know, finding records, playing records, blending records together in my bedroom, but like playing records in like a room through a big, through big speakers, they're hitting people's bodies and they're moving. And, and it was just like, oh, like I obviously knew that that was a thing that there's clubs and people dance, but like, it was like, oh, but the, okay. Wow. Okay. I guess it was this new realization. And, um, and just sharing music that's like personal to you and blending it. And, um, that was probably like the first moment. Um, yeah. And I feel like just general, like the, the broad thing is like, I, I'm really glad that my first love musically as like a, that special age in your life when you, you know, in the second half of high school was mostly hip hop based music that was kind of, a lot of it was sample based which meant that like I was discovering all of these genres that were drawn in through, you know, producers sampling and flipping that that kind of hip hop sensibility, I feel like I'm really thankful for that. Like I was exposed to cause it's like a, you know, it's like a taking stuff and flipping it kind of sensibility that could apply to anything, visual arts, um, uh, music, whatever, you know, like there's a problem in your life, you'd find some way to flip it into a thing, that kind of hip hop culture sensibility. Um, yeah, which probably led to the visual show of like, oh, the opportunity of taking this footage and flipping it or like, you know, hanging more out in Brisbane, around in Brisbane and being like, oh, these musicians are amazing. Like, or like my dad plays double bass. My mum does lino cut artwork. Like, let me use them, you know, like on stuff and flip that. I know that's not specific, but like that's kind of what came to mind. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Very cool. Now, friends, uh, Sampleology has a whole bunch of things out, regrowth, rearranged, including this amazing Temple Flowers Desert Flower Edition of Glass Beams show coming up uh, at Vivid. All kinds of stuff. Well, what FM? We will talk about that a little bit more if you want to stick around for a bonus episode, Sam. Yeah. Done the good. Let's do it. About 20, maybe even at 25. All right, friends. Thanks for joining us today on Hit Different Sos. Sampology, we talked about uh, Ink, I-N-K. Basically, not that quite the new F NFTs, but something very, very curious and 
certainly a development uh, worth keeping an eye on. Um, whether, whether you want your surgeon playing Queens of the Stone Age while you're getting keyhole, um, keyhole attention, I think so. I think uh, whatever works, whatever works. And, of course, St. Apologies Korea. Appreciate you. Appreciate you listening to the show, everybody. I feel like that was an okay. I'll give that sum up three out of five stars. Okay. <laughs> coming up right now.